The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. All right. This is uh, Resurrection Sunday. Good morning, Bereans. Now, in churchianity, today is called Easter. I don't call it that because Easter is the name of a pagan god. That's where the name comes from. Biblically, today is the Feast of First Fruits, which pictures the resurrection. Now, this first fruit resurrection was pictured thousands of years before it ever happened on the exact day that it did happen. So, people, today is not about bunnies. It's not about candy and colored eggs and Easter baskets. Today is about the resurrection from the dead. But like I said, most of church today, they're they're celebrating Easter bonnets and bunnies and all. What does that do to the truth of the day? You know, it seems like they just try to cover up what the Bible actually has to say about things. You know, the single most significant event in the history of the human race took place on the first Sunday after Passover in about the year AD 30. It was the resurrection of Yeshua. He, he, over, like, he overcame the grave. He defeated death and He promised resurrection to all who trust in Him. At the time the Lord was crucified, Rome was in power and the power of Rome was the cross. You mess with Rome, they got you mad, they put you on a cross, which was a torturous, torturous death. So the power of Rome is the cross, but Christ overcame Rome, the power of Rome, and the power of death, and rose from the dead. Now the majority of church, the church today, the res, to the majority, the resurrection of believers is something that they're looking for in the future. All right, the resurrection hasn't happened. It's going to come sometime in the future. Most of them think it's going to come at the end of the world. All right? I think they're wrong. You know that. I believe that the resurrection is a past event. And to prove that this morning, I'm going to appeal to a man that had inside knowledge that he received from Yahweh. And we're going to look at what the prophet Daniel had to say about resurrection this morning. So, let's look at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at the time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So, Daniel starts out here and he says, at that time. Now, since we jumped in at chapter 12, we don't really have a clue what time he's talking about, so we, let's back up a little bit and find out, just to get some context here. Let's go back to Daniel 10, 14. He says, "...and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come." So here, Daniel's being given a vision of what will happen to, it says, your people. That's Israel, the Israelites, Jews, okay? Those are Daniel's people. Daniel's an Israelite. What's going to happen to your people in the latter days? The latter days of what? The latter days of his people. The vision is of the future 
It's of the latter days of Israel. We go to chapter 11, verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall come unto the countries, and shall overflow and pass through. All right. At that time of chapter 12 is the latter days of 1014, and the time of the end of chapter 11. So Daniel 12 is talking about the end times, which we know is referring to the end times of Old Covenant Israel, the end of that dispensation. He says, at that time, Michael the great prince. Now, who is this great prince Michael who stands guard over Daniel's people? Well, the name Michael is from the Hebrew, Mikael. And it means one who is like God. When You see a lot of these Hebrew names have E-L at the end of them. L, all right? That's God, all right? That's what E-L is, God, all right? So, one who is like God. So, we see Michael only three times in the Tanakh, all in Daniel. We see him in Daniel 10.13. It says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael... One of the chief princes came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. Now, the context here demands that this prince be considered a supernatural being rather than a royal human individual. The literature from Qumran uses the title prince as a reference to the chief of angels. Jude, the book of Jude, calls Michael the archangel, which means chief of of the angels. So I believe that this prince here of the kingdom of Persia is a deity. He's a god, a god who has been given custody over Persia when the 70 nations were divided up among the watchers in Genesis 10. In Genesis 10 we have the table of nations. God lists the 70 nations there. And then we see later in Deuteronomy 32 that God divided up the nations and he put a god over each one of them. Okay? Except for Israel. What god did Israel get? Yahweh, that's right. Now, in the book of Sirach, don't try to look that up in your Bible, because it's in the Apocrypha, okay, which appears only in the Catholic Bible. Sirach says this, He appointed a ruler for every nation, but Israel is the Lord's own portion. And that's the exact same thing we see in Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. God divided up the nations. He put these gods Because the nations wouldn't obey Him, because they kept turning to sin, they kept disobeying, God says, I'm done with you. And He turned the nations over to these foreign gods, these other gods, these lesser gods, so to speak. And then in chapter 12 of Genesis, He calls Abraham and He starts all over with a people for Himself. So we see this prince of Persia, this God who is over Persia, battling with Michael, who is one of the chief princes. Uh, Daniel 10.21 says, But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So again, we see Michael called a prince. The only other use of Michael in the Tanakh is in our text in Daniel chapter 12. And here we see that Michael is the great prince who stands guard over Daniel's people. So Michael is the patron angel of Israel. He's depicted as warring on behalf of Israel. He's called Israel's protector. Michael is one of Yahweh's council members. 
He's a high-ranking celestial being. So in Daniel 10, we see two of the gods battling over Israel. Michael and the prince of the kingdom of Persia. When we come to the New Testament, we see Michael again battling a prince, but now it's Satan. In Revelation 12, verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now, what nation is Satan over in Revelation, do you think? Well, I think it's the nation Rome. Satan is the spiritual power behind Rome, which is the beast. And we saw in Daniel that Persia, and we also, we didn't see this, but also Greece, he talks about in Daniel 10 having the, a prince over Greece. There's watchers behind these nations, all right? So wouldn't it make sense that a watcher or a chief angel would be behind Rome also? And that's exactly what the book of Revelation presents. The beast represents Rome and the dragon that gives power to the beast is Satan. Now, there are some who believe that Michael is the pre-incarnate Christ. And I held this view at one time, but I realized I was wrong, so I quit holding it. But notice the word princes here. It's plural. So how can there be more than one chief prince if Michael is Christ? Who are these other chief princes? And some try to argue that the plural here, princes, is a reference to the Trinity, but that's really not a very good argument. And in Jewish tradition, Michael is the leader of the archangels who dwell in the presence of Yahweh. We see that in the ascension of Isaiah 3.16, which is a pseudepigrapher work. Now, in this capacity, he functions in a number of roles. He's the patron angel of Israel. He's fighting for Israel against their enemies. He's an intercessor for Israel before God. And the very fact that Michael is described as an archangel indicates that there's different ranks or orders among the angels. In other apocryphal books, the number of the archangels is given as seven. So they say that's how many archangels there are. All right. Well, Michael's called the great prince who has charge of your people. Now, we know that your people is a reference to the Hebrew people. And here, Michael is the great prince that stands guard over the Israelites. And then he says this, And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Now, remember, this is to happen at that time which is referring to the end of the Jewish age. So as the Jewish age, the old covenant age comes to an end, there's going to be this time of trouble such as never has been. He's predicting a time of great trouble at the end of the age. He's telling us of this time of distress that some of the people will be rescued. He says, but at that time, he says, your people shall be delivered. So there's going to be this time of really bad trouble. And at that time... The believers will be rescued. And it's interesting that Jeremiah tells us this very same thing in Jeremiah 34 through 7. He says, These are the words that Yahweh spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says Yahweh, We have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see. Can a man bear a child? You can't even ask that question today because people are so dumb they don't know. Because if you're a trans man... You can have a child. Well, a trans man is a woman. 
Okay, bottom line, a woman. There's only two genders, a man and a woman. So, yeah, because he's, he's expecting a no answer here, okay? Because he says, why then does every man with his hands on his stomach like he's in labor? So, it's implying a negative answer. So, God knew that way back then, he, he knew there's only two genders, all right? Can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? And why every face turned pale? In other words, they're going through some serious anguish here. He said, that day is so great, there's none like it. That sounds just like what Daniel says. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved from it. So Jeremiah is talking about this time of trouble. He says, there's none like it. And then he says, it's going to be a time when some are going to be saved out of it. Now notice he says, this is a time of distress for Jacob. That's referring to Israel. This is a time of Jacob's trouble. This tribulation, this persecution, this trouble is for Israel. Now in Matthew 24, Yeshua is answering the disciples' question about the destruction of Jerusalem. They wanted to know when's it going to be destroyed, what signs would precede the end of the age and the parousia. So in 24.21, he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. That sounds just like what we read in Daniel 1. The then is referring in context to verses 15 through 20, when you see the abomination of desolation, which Luke tells us is Jerusalem surrounded by armies. This happened, this Jerusalem surrounded by armies that the Lord's talking about, happened in A.D. 67. Now, I'm not saying A.D. 8.0. I'm saying A.D. And I, that people, I know that sounds, it's like, you, you're saying A.D. 70. No, it's A, <laughs> Alpha Delta, A.D. 70. This is A.D. 67. Cestius Gallus who was a Roman general, he laid siege to Jerusalem. They surrounded the city. The Great Tribulation is not an event, people, that's future to us. It was then, it was during the siege of Jerusalem by the Romans in the first century, and this is made abundantly clear in the parallel text in Luke's Gospel. Luke says this, 21-20, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Make sense? All these armies were in trouble, okay? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, when people talk about the Great Tribulation in the future, it's supposed to be, they make it sound like it's global. Well, okay, then, first of all, there's no global. It's flat. So, but you've got to flee to the mountains, so you're leaving and you're going somewhere, all right? And those who are inside the city depart. If you're in the city, the city is a fortress. Leave the fortress. Well, if an army's attacking, I want to be in the fortress. Not out, but God said, get out of it. Let those who are out in the country, don't enter it, don't run to the fortress, leave. These are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Now, this is a very important statement, people. Luke tells us that all things which are written will be fulfilled when Jerusalem is destroyed. We know historically it was destroyed in A.D. 70. So what does he mean by all things written? That's prophecy. All prophecy. All prophecy was to be fulfilled in the destruction of the city. And Daniel tells us this very same thing 
He says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, Daniel was told that the 70 weeks had been determined upon the people of Israel and the city Jerusalem. He said, it's decreed. And the Hebrew word here for our decreed is hathak, and it literally means to cut off. The 70 weeks is symbolic. And by the end of this prophetic time period, God promised six things would be accomplished, and one of those things that Daniel told would happen by the end of the period was that that to seal both vision and profit. Now, if you read commentaries, nobody agrees with anybody else. This is what makes this so strong here. Most every Hebrew commentary is agreed. I don't care if they're dispensational. I don't care post-millennial. I don't care what their eschatology is. They agree that this word, this means here, to seal vision and profit, means to end and completely fulfill all prophecy. So Daniel's prophecy tells of a time when all prophecy would cease to be given and what had been given would be fulfilled. When would that be? Well, Daniel's vision begins with the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and ends with the destruction of Jerusalem, which we know, again, occurred in A.D. 70. The fall of Jerusalem, people, was far more important than the destruction of a city. It was the end of an age. This was God's city. This was God's temple. These were his people. That was destroyed. That was the end of the old covenant era. That's why Yeshua said it would be <clears throat> a time <coughs> excuse me, of great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. Now, for this reason I ask you, because I get this question a lot, you know, well, was the city of Jerusalem, when it was destroyed, was that just a, a prefigure? Was that pointing to something yet in the future? Was it just a, you know, a type that later... No, why? The Lord says, this is the great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and never will be. He said, there's nothing ever going to be greater than the destruction that's going on right now. Nothing's going to equal what happened in AD 70. So there's nothing future past that to look forward to. And I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but the Great Tribulation is over. I know, most of the church is looking forward to happen in the future. But it's past. You missed it. I hope you're not too disappointed. It's crazy that our people are looking forward to that. You ever see the commercials on TV where they're trying to raise money so they can get the Jews to go back to Jerusalem? I'm thinking, don't do it. Read the book of Revelation. You just get slaughtered when you get there. We're going to get all the Jews to go back so we can kill them all. That's (laughs) people. Notice what he says in the next verse. And in those days, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. This is the same thing we saw in Daniel 12.1. Daniel 12 says, At that time your people shall be delivered. He says, And then in Matthew he says, But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So Daniel, Jeremiah, Yeshua, they all talk about this same time of great tribulation when Yahweh will save His people. And Yeshua tells us the exact same thing. 
That time was to be in this generation. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, we were talking about this earlier. Some people make this complicated. Yeshua's talking to His disciples, and He's telling them about the destruction of the temple and all the things involved in the second coming. And He says, all these things are going to happen in this generation. Now, the Lord could have said that generation, because most people think He's talking about something in the future. Not, But He's talking to people, and if I tell you this building, you, oh, we know, this one here. But if I said that building, you go, what building? You need a context, all right? This generation. And what, what the generation included, what he was talking about, was the gospel being preached to all the world. The abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, the coming of the Son of Man. And I think this is so clear that it greatly troubles those who hold to a futuristic eschatology, and they try to just destroy this verse. MacArthur says this means the generation when the Lord returns. Now he just simply says that, and then he goes like this. What else could it mean? And I'm like, well, it could mean the generation he's talking to. You know, that's what it means. Again, Yeshua is using the near demonstrative, this generation. Every time this is used in the New Testament, it refers to something that's near in terms of time or distance. He could have said that generation, but he didn't. Because he wasn't talking about that generation. And last week I quoted, I quoted Ken Gentry, and I wanted to... Bring that quote up again. Here's what Gentry says about this generation. This generation in the context of the Olivet Discourse is a non-apocalyptic, non-poetic, unambiguous, didactic assertion. Amen. In other words, it means what it says, people. He's not some, you know, figurative thing. He's not talking about something else. He's talking about this generation. That's how it's used every time in the Gospel of Matthew. And most commentaries, most lexicons will say, yes, it means the current generation, every use, except in Matthew 24, which is, you know, refutes itself, I think. So Daniel is talking about a time that the generation that Yeshua lived in would see all these things fulfilled. He says, at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Again, your people, Israelites, Daniel's people. At that time, the great tribulation that he's talking about, all the Israelites that are found written in the book will be rescued. So during the time of the tribulation, the elect of Yahweh would be delivered from that tribulation. How'd this happen? Well, notice what Yeshua told his disciples. Matthew 24, 15-21. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not come down to take what's in the house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And also for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants, In those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, which has not been from the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. Now, so when they saw the enemies surrounding Jerusalem, they're to flee. They're to get out before the tribulation began. Now, it is an historical fact that Cestius Gallus, the Roman general, for some unknown reason, suspended the siege against Jerusalem 
and ceased the attack and withdrew his army. So they come, they surround Jerusalem, they're sieging the city. That's how they did warfare there. They would surround the city, cut off anything in, anything out, until they starved them or got them to a place where they had to surrender. And that's what's going on. And all of a sudden, they withdrew. The armies withdrew for an interval of time. And that time, it gave every believer the opportunity to say, hey, the Lord told us to get out of here, we're getting. And they got out of the city. Now, Josephus, who was an eyewitness himself, he was an unbeliever, he chronicled the fact, and he admitted his inability to account for the cessation of the fighting at this time of the siege had begun. But we can account for it, because Yahweh was giving His people, the believing Israelites, a chance to escape the siege, and the disciples took it. And just as Daniel 12.1 has said, everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued. Daniel said it, Jeremiah said it, Yeshua said it, and it happened exactly as was predicted. Now notice the next verse in Daniel. He says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. That's talking about resurrection. Resurrection of the just and the unjust, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now remember, this is the context of verse 1. The time of great tribulation, in the end time, or the last days, which we know ended in AD 70, this resurrection happens at the time of Jerusalem's destruction. Not at the end of time. Not at the end of the world, as most people think. Most Christians think the resurrection is yet a future event, and it happens, you know, as when the world ends. Well, notice what Daniel says next. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. That's word sky there is rakia, dome. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So after the resurrection, we have people turning many to righteousness. How could this be if the resurrection was at the end of time or the end of the world? Who are they turning to righteousness? Who are those who shine like the brightness of the rakia above? This is astral language to speak of believers. Believers, the people of this time, they viewed the stars as deity. All right, we see this in Job 38, 7. He says, when the morning stars, so we know he's not talking about bright lights, sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So stars, sons of God, they're synonymous. Daniel is saying that believers in the resurrection will be like the sons of God. They'll be like stars. And this is the same thing Yahweh promised Abram in Genesis 15. He brought him outside and he said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he says this, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now the question here is, so shall your offspring be, does that refer to quantitative, you'll be as numerous as the stars, or qualitative, you'll be like the stars? I think it's both. This is what theologians call theosis or the deification of man. We are to be like the divine host of God, part of Yahweh's celestial family. And what we have in Daniel 12.3 is astralization language. We'll shine like the brightness of the sky, like the stars forever and ever. This is astral terms. And in Daniel 12, we see this happening after the resurrection. So when does the resurrection take place? He says, The end of the days. Now, according to this verse, 
the end of the days, the new covenant people has no last days. You know why? It's an everlasting covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. There's no end times. There's no last days. So these last days must be of the first covenant, the old covenant. There is no newer new covenant. There's an old and a new. The old was done away in A.D. 70. We are in the new covenant. There's nothing newer coming. So notice what Yeshua says in Matthew 13. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. If your Bible says world there, it's a bad translation. The Greek there is ion, age. An age can end, another age begins. All right. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not talking about hell. That's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. It was a fiery destruction, a judgment of God. So he says at the end of the age, the lawless are cast into this furnace of fire where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the great tribulation that Daniel talked about. Matthew 13, 40 and 43 says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father who has ears to hear. All right, so he's quoting Daniel 3 here. All right? They'll shine like the brightness of the sky above. The righteous will shine like the sun. Same thing, he's quoting Daniel. So all this stuff, the great tribulation, the resurrection, the righteous shining as the sun, all happens at the end of the Jewish age. Both Daniel 12 and Matthew 13 are speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem. The resurrection is an event that was to happen at the end of the Old Covenant age. Now, since we know that the resurrection is past, we know that it was spiritual and not physical. Because time defines nature. So we know it happened, so we know it wasn't physical, because the resurrection of the dead that took place at the end of the Old Covenant was not a biological resurrection of dead, decayed bodies coming out of graves. It was a resurrection from Sheol, of all who had been waiting through the centuries to be united with God in heaven. Because until Christ returned, nobody went to heaven. So it's not talking, you know, that nobody goes to heaven. So these died, they went to the grave, they waited. We can see from the teaching of Hymenaeus and Philetus, you ever heard of those people? Often preterism is called the Hymenaean heresy. Because we're teaching the same thing these guys taught, all right? Well, look at what they taught about the resurrection. In 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18, it says, And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. Now, if you look at what they're saying here, and you think about what most people believe today, most people believe the resurrection happens at the end of the world. So, the early Christians must have believed that the resurrection was going to be spiritual in nature and therefore not subject to confirmation by any physical evidence. Because if the early Christians had believed the resurrection would involve physical bodies coming out of graves as is taught today, how could they have convinced anyone that it had already happened? How did they do that? People would just say, of course it hasn't happened. The world's still there. We're not on a 
you know, the world didn't all burn up and it all ended. They also must have believed that life would go on with no material change after the resurrection. If they didn't, if people didn't believe that, how could these guys get away with this stuff? They didn't believe there's going to be a renovated planet as the consequence of the resurrection. Otherwise, the teaching of Hymenaeus and Philetus would have been impossible. No one would have paid any attention to what they said. They'd have said, look, the world's still going on. You guys are crazy. The resurrection couldn't have happened yet. Well, why is their teaching upsetting the faith of some? The reason their teaching was that the resurrection had already happened was overthrowing the faith of some was because it postulated a consummation of the spiritual kingdom while the earthly temple in Jerusalem still stood. So this is mixing law and grace. And they're destroying the faith of some by making the works of the law part of the new covenant. See, this temple's still there. The law is still intact. And so this is together and the resurrection happened. And no. So, you know, we're teaching the resurrection. I'm teaching the resurrection past. They did. Why is mine not a heresy and theirs is? Well, because it hadn't happened with them. This was 2,000 years ago. And shortly after they taught this, the resurrection happened, made a huge difference. But most people can't tell time, obviously, so that's a problem. Daniel 12.4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words of this and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So he tells Daniel to seal the book. All right? Daniel seal up the book until when? The time of the end. Now, Anybody got the New American Standard? The New American Standard has seal up till the end of time. Which is a really bad translation. Young's literal translation translates it just like the ESV does here. The KJV, the NIV, they all translate it this way because they're smarter. I don't know how the New American Standard messed this up, but this should not be translated the end of time. All right? And I'll show you that, because look at verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. How long is that? That when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Okay, so he's telling us when the time of the end is. It's when all these things are finished, when the power of the holy people are shattered. And all the events will be completed, he says. He's, count, he's talking here about the great tribulation of verse 1, the resurrection of verse 2, many being turned to righteousness in verse 3, the shattering of the power of the holy people. So all these events will be completed when the power of the holy people is shattered. When did that happen? Well, the holy people's Israel, when were their powers shattered? Eighty seventy. Is that the end of time, as verse 4 in the, in the New American says? No. Again, we know the holy people are Israel. In the context of Daniel's people, the Israelites, their power was completely shattered when the temple was destroyed, when their city was destroyed, when they were slaughtered and taken off into captivity. And since the tribulation didn't happen at the end of time. We know that the end of the Old Covenant age, that's when it happened. We know that the New American Standard translation is wrong because it 
Time didn't end back then. All right? We're still in it. So let me say here that the Bible doesn't speak of the end of time. Nowhere. Now the expression the end time or the time of the end is found in Scripture, but nowhere in the Bible can we find the expression the end of time. Now the expression the end time or the time of the end speaks of the end of an age, but the end of an age is not the end of time. Scripture does not indicate that God has any plan to destroy this created world that we enjoy. Back to verse 4. He said, tell Daniel, seal up the book. These things were not going to be understood until the time of the end. So seal this, Daniel. Well, when the end times arrived, Yeshua, referring to Daniel's words, said, but when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So Mark here adds, let the reader understand. In other words, this is designed to draw the attention of the reader back to the passage of Daniel and its true meaning. In other words, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that's a sign. That's a sign of the destruction of Jerusalem. That's a sign of the coming of the end of the age. In verse 9 he says, Go your way, Daniel, for the, word, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Again, Daniel's told that these words are to be sealed until the time of the end or the last days of Israel. We are told in Daniel 12.4 that this time is a time when knowledge shall increase. Now, how many of you heard this verse used to say, well, knowledge here is science and technology, and that refers to our time. I mean, we got more knowledge now. This is talking about our time. This is not talking about knowledge of science, knowledge of technology. Remember, this is talking about the end of the Jewish age. When the Bible talks about knowledge, it's referring to the knowledge of Yahweh. Because prior to Pentecost, the birth of the church, the coming of the new covenant, prior to that time, the knowledge of Yahweh was limited to who? Israel, right? Look what Paul says in Romans 9.4. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. God was dealing with Israel and only Israel. Anybody that wanted a relationship with God had to come into Israel. Be a proselyte, follow God through Israel. They only had the knowledge. But after Pentecost, the knowledge of Yahweh began to go out to the nations. This is a knowledge that Daniel was talking about. It was the knowledge of the gospel. The knowledge of God in Christ. Paul used Yahweh in the last days to increase this knowledge. And 2 Corinthians 4.6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Yeshua the Christ. So Paul calls the gospel the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul lived in the last days and he helped this knowledge increase. This is what Daniel was talking about. In the last days, knowledge would increase. The knowledge of the gospel of our Lord Yeshua. And that's why it talks about a revelation about Satan being bound that he may not deceive the nations. Because during that time, the nations were coming to the faith of the gospel because the knowledge of God was going out. And they were receiving it. Daniel 12, 5 and 6 says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, others stood on this bank 
of the stream and the other on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? The question seems to be asked for the sake of Daniel. The end of these things is the end that has been talked about from Daniel 11.40, 12.3, with all that's to happen, the great tribulation, salvation of the elect, the resurrection, all of it. And the answer to this question comes in the next verse. And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever that it be for time, times, and a half time. How long is that? All right, it's so a time, that's a year, times two years, that's three, and a half time, three and a half years. How long was the siege of Jerusalem? Anybody know? Take a wild guess. Three and a half years. What a coincidence. How did Daniel know that? Way back then, it was going to take three and a half years. How long is the Great Tribulation? Three and a half years. And Daniel's telling us this, Okay. And he says, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people, that's what happened at the end of that three and a half year, they went in, they destroyed the city, they destroyed the temple, they burned it down. When it comes to an end, he says, all these things are going to be finished. All these things, again, includes the resurrection of Daniel 2. The resurrection will be the power of the holy people. The Jews, will, after that power is shattered, So the resurrection was to happen at the end of the Jewish age, which was the Old Covenant age. We know that this happened in AD 70, historically, with the destruction of the temple. Verse 8 and 9 says, I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So this is, till the end time comes or draws near, These things are not going to be accomplished. It's clearly understood the book. Seal it up, Daniel. It's going to be sealed until we get to the time of the end. But in Revelation we read, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words. For the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Alright, so the time of the end is now near in Revelation. So what was sealed in Daniel is revealed in Revelation. Back to Daniel 10 and 11. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So from the time of the abomination of desolation, he said there's going to be 1,290 days. How many years is that? Three and a half. (laughs) which is how long, again, the war against Jerusalem lasted. That's historical. You can look that up. Yeshua referred to this in Matthew 24, 15 in his discussion of the fall of Jerusalem. And many commentators find an allusion to the standard of the Roman legions in the expression, abomination of desolation. See, the eagles that the Romans had on their symbolism, they were objects of worship to these soldiers. And we know from Josephus that the attempt of a Roman general, Vitellius, in the reign of Tiberius, he wanted to march his troops through Judea. And he was resisted by the Jewish authorities on the ground that the idolatrous image or the ensigns would be 
profaning of the law of Israel. So they just fought them. You can't bring that stuff in here. So that's what they're talking about here. By, by combining Matthew and Luke's statements with secular history, it's clear that Cestius Gallus and the Roman army were the abomination of desolation. And it was fulfilled in AD 66 when they surrounded the city and had a three and a half year siege against that city till it was destroyed. Chrysostom wrote, For this it seems to me that the abomination of desolation means the army by which the holy city of Jerusalem was made desolate. Makes sense. Daniel 12, 13. But go your way to the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So the statements of verses 1, 7, 11, and 12, they tie the resurrection to a time immediately following the destruction of Jerusalem. So Daniel was to arise at the end of the age when the power of the holy people were shattered. So how could you take the resurrection and separate it from the destruction of Jerusalem after all that Daniel just said? How in the world could you do that? Now back in, I believe it was 1998, I was talking to R.C. Sproul Sr. at one of his conferences that he did in Florida. And I asked him, because he'd made some statements that sounded like he was full preterist, but I knew he was kind of holding back. And he, I said, what keeps you from accepting full preterism? And he said, the resurrection. And I said, but Daniel 12 taught the resurrection would happen when the power of the holy people was shattered. And he just looked at me and didn't say anything. I said, well, you know, that re- that's not an excuse. you know. But be, if you're stuck in your head that the resurrection has to be physical, then you say it hasn't happened. But if you understand what the Bible teaches, then Daniel's pretty clear on when this is going to happen. The resurrection was a spiritual regathering of Yahweh's covenant people that have died throughout the ages. They died, they went to the grave. The resurrection of the dead took place at the Old Covenant age in AD 70, and it wasn't a biological resurrection of decayed bodies coming out of the ground. It was a resurrection from Sheol of all who had been waiting through the centuries, the believing remnant to be united with God in the heavenly kingdom. They were no longer separated from God, dead. Now they're in His presence in heaven, and they're alive. But that didn't happen until the power of the holy people was shattered in AD 70. Now, for believers who have lived since A.D. 70, what about us? People question, well, if the resurrection has happened, what happens to us? We receive a resurrection when we trust Christ. We're dead, the Bible teaches. All men are born dead in trespasses and sins. But Yeshua gives us spiritual life, which is a resurrection from spiritual death. Ephesians 2.5 And when we were dead... That's not just the Ephesians. That's everybody. Everybody was born dead in Adam. We're born dead. Dead in the sense of separation from God. Spiritually dead. In our trespasses, it says, made us alive together with Christ. So we have eternal life, people. And because we have eternal life, we can never die. You know, people often question me. Well, they say, well, in in the new age, in in the kingdom of God... There's no death, the Bible says in Revelation. I said, that's right, there is no death. Which means that you and I as believers can never die spiritually. Death is removed. We can't die spiritually because we are in Christ. 
Therefore, we don't need a resurrection. At death, our bodies go to dust, and we go immediately to heaven. Look what Yeshua says in John 11, 25 and 26. This is at the resurrection of Lazarus. He says, and he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. She said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died, you know, but he'll live again. I know in the resurrection. And Yeshua says, I'm the resurrection. It's me. I'm the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Yeshua claims to be the resurrection and the life. All right. Now he says, he who believes in me shall live. That's spiritually. Even if he dies physically, and everyone who lives physically and believes in me will never die spiritually. So two categories of believers are being discussed here. Those who would die before the resurrection and those who would not. Now, for those who died under the old covenant, he was the resurrection. At the second coming, he would resurrect them. But for those who lived into the days of the new covenant, he's the life. Because we don't need a resurrection. Because we've already had that. Under the new covenant, people, there is no death. And that's not talking about physical death. Everybody dies. It's talking about spiritual death. People, our great problem is not physical death. Spiritual death is the problem. To be separated from God is the greatest problem anybody could ever face. Physical death is not a big deal for the believer. When we die, it's just like, okay, boot camp's over, we graduate into the Father's house. There's no death. There's no need of a resurrection. We have eternal life right now. We can never die spiritually. Therefore, we don't need a resurrection. At death, we just go immediately to heaven. So the resurrection was promised to Israel all through the Old Covenant. Promised to Israel. It was a one-time event in which the Old Covenant saints were brought out of death, Sheol, to be with the Lord. We have trusted Christ. We have put on immortality. We have put on, we will put on an immortal body when we die physically. As believers, we live right now in the presence of God, and in physical death, we simply drop the flesh and dwell only in the spiritual realm. So death to a believer is literally graduation day, okay? And that's why this day is so important, the resurrection from the dead. Because Christ rose from the dead, He promised resurrection life to all who believe in Him. And it's trust, and trust alone in Christ that brings us into this life. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the word we heard this morning from Daniel. I don't know, Lord, to me it seems so clear what Daniel is saying. The resurrection was to happen after the power of the holy people were shattered. We know when that happened, Lord. Father, help us to take the word of God Seriously, Lord, to believe what it says. So often we don't understand things, so we push the truth aside. Help us just to investigate this, to dig into it, Lord, to study it as Bereans, to see if it's so. It seems like so many of the Scriptures just line up. They all come together, Lord. Matthew 24, Daniel 12, Jeremiah 30, they're all saying the same thing. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony from Your Word. May we accept it. Amen. All right.
Questions? Comments? Uh, someone asked, Jerry asked, doesn't Hebrews 11.35 make it pretty clear that the better resurrection is spiritual in nature? Yeah, Jerry, I think it does. And that's what we have to understand, you know. To be spiritually alive, that's what life's all about. To be in God's presence, God who is life. So that, that is a significant thing. We put way too much emphasis on the physical. And I think that's why people reject the second coming of Christ in AD 70 because they want a physical return. They want some man floating out of a cloud, coming down and making our world all beautiful. When you get to heaven, you'll get that world, okay? Nothing will be more beautiful than that. But we got, until we go, we're here, all right? Uh, Gary Cole says, the 144,000 in Revelation 7 are from the tribulation in chapter 14. The 144,000 are said to be firstfruits. Firstfruits could only be from the beginning of the church, not 2,000, 3,000 years later. Yeah, that makes sense, Gary. I agree with you, okay? They're firstfruits. The resurrection is something that is in our past. The resurrection, again, the one promised Israel. And I believe, you know, when you are dead and God gives you life, that is a resurrection. Uh, Rick asks, could it be that Hymenaeus and Alexander were not entirely wrong? Well, it's Hymenaeus and Philetus, but were not wrong in what they were saying, just the context of what they were saying. Matthew tells us that Christ's death on the cross, there was a resurrection of people out of the grave and witnesses seen in them in the city. To speak of a resurrection would have been correct during the time they were speaking of it. However, the context they were using of the resurrection was wrong, which is why they were rebuked by Paul. Sadly, we are not given that direct context to examine my thoughts. Uh, I understand what you're saying. You know, they're saying the resurrection is past, but I think this happened, what they're saying in, in Timothy, which was written in, in the mid-60s, I believe. So it's still 15 years away from the destruction. So, but they're saying the resurrection is past. And again, it wasn't past. From Norm, would you please explain? No. <laughs> would you please explain to us that Hasatan is not a proper name. It is a title such as prosecutor, a very equal member of the council before the rebellion. There was more than one, not Yahweh's arch enemy, as, as He-Man and Skeletor in the dispensation. Um, yes, it's Hasetan is, is the name. You know, we see this throughout the Tanakh, where he's called Hasetan. He is, uh, it's, it's used of a, a divine being, though, throughout the old and throughout the new. All right, but this divine being, Satan, is is the enemy of God. He's not the arch enemy, as most people think. Well, Satan is the equal and opposite of God. Not at all. God created Satan. God destroyed Satan. God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the only self-existent being. He created these other beings to have fellowship with. He created a family, a council. And some of those people fell. People, gods, they fell, and God judged them. 
Okay? God judged them severely because of that. But Jesus said to the man next to him on the cross, he would be with him in paradise that day. Correct. So now I'm confused. Okay. Here's the thing. Nobody went to heaven. Well, I can't say that. I believe there are exceptions. All right. I believe that's a general rule. Man did not go to heaven until the second coming. But I believe that Enoch and Elijah went into the presence of God prior to that. Because God is God and he can make exceptions if he wants to do that. All right. But generally speaking, man didn't go. So what about the thief on the cross? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Did he get to go to heaven that day? Well, again, here's a, that's a difficult text, but here's how I deal with it. In the Greek, there's no punctuation. Okay? No punctuation in the Greek. I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. It all depends on what you put the punctuation. He would be with him in paradise, but not that day. Okay? Because he wasn't going to paradise that day. The Lord didn't go to paradise that day. Okay? He went to Sheol. The Bible is clear on that. For the next three days. So I hope that clears that up some. Good morning. How about changing the lyrics of when the roll is called up yonder? <laughs> Since the roll's been called up yonder. Since the trumpet of the Lord has sounded, time has been. Some more and morning breaks eternal bright and fair. Since the saved on earth were gathered over on the other shore. Yeah, you know, when we do hymns, I often have to change the lyrics, okay? Because everybody's looking forward to the coming, and, and we're not looking forward to it. So it does involve changing words. But, yeah, the role's been called, okay? Um, don't know who this is from. They just said, great teaching, so blessed to be part of your church. Well, thank you. I appreciate you joining us. What is the significance of the one of the thirteen thirty-five days in Daniel twelve? I don't know. That's all I can tell you. How about that? Is that a good answer? <laughs> you know, people often write me, "What do you think of this verse?" And I think nothing. I hadn't studied it yet. I mean, I can't give. I don't know the whole Bible. I haven't studied the whole Bible. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to get through the New Testament before I die. Uh, only the Lord knows if I'll make it. But, uh, you know, when you write me about a text that I haven't studied, and if I have studied it, go to the website and find my answer. Because I'm going to tell you this, because I'll probably have to look it up on the website. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't remember everything I've taught over all the years. So I have to go back to the website. So I, it's encouraging. And it's helpful if you just go to the website yourself. Awesome search engine on the website. Type in what you're looking for. Boom, it'll all pop up. And you can search all you want. It was the verse right after you said where it says twelve ninety days, the next verse says, Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the first. Yeah, that's I, I don't I don't know what he's talking about there, okay? Um, Junior says, Happy Resurrection Day, Pastor Dave, and to all the Bereans. Great message once again. Thanks, Junior. That's Junior from Canada. Uh, Dana said, oh, you got two, alright. Wasn't it Israel's error to believe that the Messiah and the kingdom were all physical, and thus their rejection of Messiah? Yes, Israel was looking for 
a military savior that would deliver them from Rome. That's what they wanted. They're under Roman bondage. They wanted a Messiah who would be a savior to come in and defeat Rome. And so when Christ comes preaching this spiritual stuff, they're like, yeah, we don't want that spiritual stuff. We want to be free from Rome. That's what they're talking about. And then Dana says, most of the church is in the same pharisaical, rabbinical era of physical. Yes. The reason Christ was rejected and His first coming by Israel was because they wanted a physical deliverer. The same reason, I think, is applied to why people reject the second coming. They want a physical deliverer to deliver them from this miserable life that they're in. Okay? Well, I think if you just walk with God, life is pretty great. All right? Andrea in Texas, she goes, I think a lot of Christians think people were supposed to live forever before the fall and that physical death was punishment and that futurist view of resurrection would fix that. But this, do, but this doesn't really make any sense. Um, Andrea, it doesn't make sense to me either. I think man was born mortal. Okay? He's born to die. That's just how we are in this life. I don't think we were born with immortality because the Bible says when you trust Christ, you receive immortality. You put on immortality. That means you didn't have it before. So man is born mortal. He's born to die. But the problem is man died spiritually. That's the whole problem. They disobeyed God, Adam and Eve. They died spiritually. Christ came to fix that, to bring man back into the presence of God, back into eternal life. So it's, you know, well, there's too much, way too much emphasis on the physical and not the spiritual. Uh, someone says, I don't know who this is, when Yeshua raised Lazarus from the dead, was that a spiritual resurrection? No. Strictly physical. Lazarus is dead in the grave. He brought him out of the grave. Okay? Lazarus again died at some point in time. Okay? That's what I believe anyway. The saints that came out of the tombs at Yeshua's death and were seen in Jerusalem, were they spiritual? No, I think that was physical also. What does a spirit look like? Would I recognize <laughs> as someone I knew? I don't know. I have no clue, okay, if you'd recognize them or not. Now, somehow, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah showed up, they knew who they were. How? Oh, they had pictures. Oh, yeah, remember this is a picture I got Elijah on my mantle. No, they didn't have cameras back then. Somehow they knew who those were, okay? And then it's interesting because the Lord said, you got, you got Moses, you got Elijah, the law and the prophets, and you got Yeshua, and the voice out of heaven says, this is my son, hear him. Okay? Forget about the law and the prophets, pay attention to my son. You know, just a beautiful thing. But, you know, I don't know. We're going to get a resurrection body. We recognize each other. I think we will. I mean, I don't. How do you recognize a spirit? What is a spirit? Is it just a wisp? Or I, You know, that's why I really believe that we will receive a, a, a new body fit for the spiritual realm. Um, how could Paul say, once absent from the body, present with the Lord before A.D. 70? Well, several ways he could have said that. It could have been a prolepsis. A prolepsis is counting on something that's so certain in the future that you act like it's here now. All right, That's used often in Scripture. It's a prolepsis. Other than that, I don't know, because when he died, he wasn't going immediately to heaven. He would at some point, but to be absent from that body, he would be with the Lord. He was with the Lord then, though, wasn't he? If he trusted Christ, he was with him at that time. That's a good question, though. Anybody lives with a purpose, Anthony? Yes, I 
just a thought, you know, but I was just thinking while you were saying that, that um, you know, talking about relationship with you and Christ, right? So if, if he know me better than I know myself, so... Well, that's for sure. So if he, if we go to a certain area in life, spiritually, I was thinking, can he know who I am spiritually? He always knows. God knows everything about you. That's identifying who I am. That's why it's so silly to try to you know hide things from God. Like God, I don't want you to know this or that. God knows your every thought before you think it. Okay, He knows you inside and out. He knows. And here's the incredible thing: He knows what a dirtbag you are, and yet He loves you. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, that's how great our God is. Dana says thank you, and the whole team at Berean for a great worship and teaching, a wonderful way to celebrate the resurrection. We're looking forward to seeing you all at the Berean conference. Look forward to seeing you guys too, Dana. It's a couple weeks away now. We're less than three weeks away, I think, right, from the conference. So, well, we better get ready.